1: presented by t-mobile the official wireless partner of odyssey sports with an awesome network and great savings there's never been a better time to join t-mobile visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today
0: welcome back sports to the max news talk 830 WCCO. um the sport was eliminated but the sport moves on men's gymnastics at the university of minnesota was a casualty last year when they eliminated some sports. That doesn't mean that there's still not participation. There's still not a way to do it, but it certainly makes life more complicated. Mike Burr is the head coach of that team, a team that still participates in a different way uh, at the club level and beyond. And he joins us now uh, to what has been an interesting six months in his life. Mike, thank you so much for joining
1: us. Oh, thanks so much for having me on, Maxie
0: take me back to the, the the painful day when you got the news. Did, did you see it coming? What, what, what did it feel like from where you stood at that point in time?
1: <laughs> kind of, well, honestly, you know, our sport of gymnastics has been a casualty over the, over the decades that I've been involved. So I guess, I guess you could say I've always been kind of looking over my shoulder, but uh, I, I wasn't anticipating it. It was kind of a shock. And kind of leaves you very hollow and kind of unappreciated maybe. But, um, you know, we, we carried on. We did a good job this past year. We had our final season of out of 118 of them. And we had a great finish. We finished uh, fifth in the nation at the NCAA championships yep. that we hosted at the Pavilion. And, um, you know, our guys had a record team GPA, uh, highest men's team GPA last spring at the 3.72. So I was really proud of how they, <clears throat> excuse me, You know, carried on and uh, kept the chin high and went out on a high note.
0: What was it like to coach in a lame duck season?
1: Uh, (laughs) You know, nobody's ever asked me that. That's a good question. But uh, you know, when you come in the gym and you kind of figure, let's just focus on what is at this moment, uh, then it's, it's no different. You know, it's it was when you sit back and you take a big picture look. Yeah, you start to think about that, and it's the end of it all. But. On a day-to-day basis, you're just going in and trying to make sure these guys can try to get a little better each day. And if you can get a little better today than you were yesterday, then you're moving in the right direction.
0: What were their conversations like? Are are, are they, was it easy for them to focus? Or are they are they talking about, "Hey, maybe we can save the sport or I'm going to transfer." Or, you know, what was that
1: like? Well, you know, there was a lot of lot of those uh, distractions, I guess you will. And we just tried to find a way to compartmentalize them and and deal with them when we needed to deal with him and you know don't deal with them, we don't need to deal with him and you know we had we ended up with three guys well two guys transferring one guy uh finished school early in august and he ended up going to grad school at the university of illinois so we got one guy at Nebraska, one guy at michigan and one guy at illinois so we got we were able to get three guys put into really good programs and they're you know doing their thing with a different color jersey on and uh, and that's a hard thing for them. They, they've been accepted into their new teams, like like really, really well. And our, g- gymnastics community is a really tight, close knit community, so there was no no problem with that. And I got to see two um, I got to see two of them this weekend at the Windy City Invitational down in Chicago. Crew Bold from Michigan and David Pachinka down at uh, University of Illinois. So it was just awesome. It was like a big homecoming and. Um, it was just a really good feeling of, of uh, camaraderie in the gymnastics community when I walked into that gym and everybody came up to me. And it was like a I felt like I was at the wedding receiving line. You know, everybody yeah. was coming up to see how I was doing and uh, concerned. And I said, you know what? It's going to take a lot more than this to knock me down.
0: That is so cool. Mike Burns is our guest. What do you learn about yourself? When you know they take an opportunity like that away, and let's be honest, with the state as you mentioned, the national decline of gymnastics and sports like it, it's not like you're just going to jump over and find another job overnight. I mean, a lot has to happen to find something like you had here. Uh, what did you? What did you learn about you?
1: Uh, I learned that I'm a pretty resilient son of a gun, and um, like I just said, you know, it's going to take a lot more than something like this to. To knock me down, but uh, you know it did. It did bring me down a notch, and it's just a matter of kind of readjusting. And you know what it forced me to do, Maxie. It forced me to take all the advice that I had been giving my guys over the years about dealing with adversity and managing tough times, and put it in practice. And it was like, you know, I'm re- I'm really glad that I can uh, live the philosophy I've been teaching. So I think it was a really good uh, personal development moment for me.
0: And. and- it, you know, it, it's there, there's lots of moments and lots of ebb and flow to emotion after you part ways with anybody. And whether it's a firing, a divorce, a program that doesn't, you know, that that, that gets eliminated. Uh, and it, it's those quiet moments when you're all alone. It, you know, when, when people are there to tell you it's all going to be okay and you've got company, that's one thing. But it's those moments when you're driving a car by yourself at night, etc., cetera, uh, when you really test yourself to find out, you know, how can I bring myself back up to to just a place that I need to be? But doesn't it come back to reinforce what you probably, you know, you talked about teaching, but the attitude becomes everything?
1: Without a doubt. You know, and it's it's your personal life philosophy. It's your attitude. You know, if I hadn't been a guy who's, who's been extremely positive my whole life, this might have been a whole lot different experience for me. But, um, you know, I, I kind of look at my life as walking down a hotel corridor, and you go, okay, let's see what's in this room. And in this particular room, I spent 16 years as the head coach at the University of Minnesota. Okay, now I got to leave the room and walk down the hall, and I'm going to go into the next room. And that's kind of how I've I viewed my life. And while it's while it's at a time in my life when I'm, you know, <laughs> moving towards that retirement age, but I, I feel like I got 10 more good years in me, Mike. You know, I'll be I'll be 64 next year. And, uh most people would be thinking about this is the end of things i'm thinking this is just the beginning <laughs> and uh, i got a lot of energy i got a lot of enthusiasm and i get that from uh just the you know my my parents and my family and i think that's been something again that i've been able to tap into and and rely upon and, you know i think everybody in this life has to have a toolbox full of tools to cope and how do you cope well you you manage it by surrounding yourself with good people challenging yourself to you know bring yourself to a different level of of what it is you like to do. And I think part of it is I've enjoyed my life as a coach for so long that I never feel like we never really felt like it was a job, right? It was a passionate thing that I liked to do. And I felt very fortunate to do that. And I'm still doing it. You know, we got, like you said, we got the guys, um, we got a group of seven kids that are training. Yeah, I right explain
0: now. this because you're still participating as a club team. And what can you participate in? What are you allowed to do? Where are you allowed to train? How does this work?
1: Yeah, well, we have this new league that was formed about maybe five, six years ago called GIMAC, the Gymnastics Association of College Teams. And it's basically put together by a group of coaches that have kind of been in a very similar situation that I'm in, had NCAA varsity programs that dropped. And they wanted to kind of maintain their, their collegiate team at a club level. And there wasn't really a place for them. They would compete against NCAA teams as kind of a, an add-on. Maybe, maybe you got a dual meet with Michigan. It's like, hey, Arizona State, you want to come up and make it a try meet? Sure. And they would be, they would be there and they would enjoy the experience, but you know, uh, they, they couldn't necessarily compete. But, What's happened is now there's 12 of these gym act teams around the country. Iowa dropped last year. We dropped last year. We're two of the newest gym act teams, and we both competed at the Windy City and uh, did a really good thing. And, and you know, what it does, Max, is a, there's a lot of kids out there that want to go and compete collegiately. And unfortunately, with a few number of NCAA programs, there's not a lot of opportunities, not a lot of roster spots out there. And as as the world moves forward, roster limits and decreased opportunities for guys in non-revenue sports continues to happen. So Jim Act is just providing new opportunities for kids that maybe wouldn't have had that opportunity at the college level. So I'm really excited about the idea of of being able to do that.
0: Can you stand with us for a quick break? Yeah. So I want to ask you about that. If that is the future of non-revenue sports that at some point in time here, uh, college sports will be about the big sports that make a lot of money and everybody else be on their own. Or they can compete, they can do it, but they're going to have to raise their own finances to do it. Conceptually, should that be on the table? We'll ask Mike Burns when we come back on Sports to the Max. Welcome back. Mike Burns, my guest, former men's gymnastics coach University of Minnesota, still coaching their club team. Mike, is there is there still hope that gymnastics, tennis could get reinstated? Um, that is there still a groundswell or some momentum out there people working behind the scenes at all to try to bring it back to minnesota uh
1: in a short answer yes mm-hmm. um i think it's a it's going to be a tough nut to crack for sure but there are we do have a group that we put together called the minnesota athletics alliance it's uh, representatives from gymnastics tennis and indoor track and field that are you know still pretty upset about what happened and Kind of, kind of blindsided by it. Um, you know, maybe the writing was on the wall just from a general standpoint of college athletics in general, but specifically here at Minnesota, um, you know, it was kind of a, kind of a hard pill to swallow. And um, you know, we we've been trying to get an audience with the Board of Regents and just explain some of the ways that we could possibly look at alternative ways of funding these programs, and which is kind of, I think, a segue into some of the conversation we're going to have in a little bit about uh, a new model for college athletics because college athletics has turned into a huge business, as you know, I mean, if th- you'd be, you'd still be doing what you do actually, but you'd be doing probably not covering sports the way you do, but you'd be covering the big sports, right? Yeah. But, uh, it's, but not everybody is seven foot two and can do a jump, sh- you know, dunk a ball and not everybody's, uh, you know, 300 pounds and can, can push the front line, you know, into the end zone. So it's, you know, what about the other sports that are built for different types of people? You know, mm-hmm. gymnasts, gymnasts are more slightly built. You know, they're, they're smaller guys, and uh, it's a great sport. Wrestling, same thing, track and field, you know. All these sports are great opportunities and, and great ways to bring the message that the University of Minnesota is a phenomenal place, you know. And um, all these kids that have had the experience of being here, uh, they've loved their time here uh Unfortunately, these three sports you know they they kind of been a little bit of a bad taste in their mouth and sure it's gonna be hard to convince them to make donations to the alumni association once they're done right It's just uh but yeah. well, that wasn't a great situation unfortunately, and we didn't really have an opportunity to uh you know get our stories out there i mean we had we had a you know a campus march and we had uh some People speak and, you know, got on the news, and it was a big deal for a while. But like a lot of news items these days, it's an emotional spike, and then it goes away. That's
0: absolutely what happens. It's very difficult to maintain something like that. If you don't get it done right away, it's hard to get it done. But, you know, when we talk about the model of what could make it work, hmm. would it be possible to take your non-revenue sports, and when I say non-revenue, this is different than what um, uh, the the, the, – the traditional—I don't know—want to call it the model—but but non-revenue means the sport doesn't make money. That the, the expenses are more than the revenue that that, that comes in against it. Would yep. it be possible to take those sports and make them put them on a regional schedule so the travel would be minimized, and and still get what kids want out of it, meaning compete? And if you did that, and they said that's fine, you have to raise the money. Uh, is that possible? Can you sustain yourself? Can, is there enough money to be raised that, that, that sports could sustain themselves without the help of the university or the football program?
1: That's the, that's the $64,000 question. And um, I think, again, we talked about the emotional spike of things like that. So when, when all this happened, you know, we went out and talked to our alumni track, went out and talked to our alumni, go to tennis. And, and there was like a groundswell of, of support. Now, one of the things that Mark Coyle said, which I don't disagree with, is like this: is it sustainable? You know, because after a while, you, you lose the emotional spark, and you go, "Oh, I got to write this thousand-dollar check again this yeah. year to help save the sport." Right? And and like any kind of pledging situation, it it drops off. You know, the the uh, compliance with your your ten-year pledge will maybe drop off a little bit. So, yeah, I mean, that's a that's a fair question. And but are there other 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 ways to fund a program? For instance. Um, Could we develop and create and build a gymnastics club program that is a business, you know, a for-profit business, and part of the profits go to funding the collegiate team, and the collegiate team trains in this facility, and it's run by gymnastics-minded people, and it happens to be affiliated with the university, and it may not necessarily be in quotes, owned by the university. If, if you catch my drift, so. You know, but but then
0: then could you literally like they do in club gymnastics? Just charge the participants and say, here's here's what's going to cost you to participate. I mean I mean then you wouldn't have to continuously fundraise, although you keep fundraising. But in essence, it would be you know uh, a pay to play. First, you have to qualify, perhaps to be good enough to be on the team. But once you did that, here's what it cost.
1: Yeah, it would be basically a it would be a, a revenue generating stream. Based on the business model of running a gymnastics club, and there's a lot of successful gymnastics clubs out there that make a lot of money.
0: Yes, know? there are, and they got a lot of mind, buddy.
1: <laughs> tap into the community in your area to to do this. Now, if you look at the at the a five mile radius of the University of Minnesota, there really is not a gymnastics program in that area. So it's kind of a it's kind of a dead zone for gymnastics. So if we were to kind of build something close to the university, because space space on the university as you know is like at a premium they had a hard time finding a place to put that track and field right yeah and so is there but you know and you go out westgate you know down university ave on the light rail out by 280 there's, there's a lot of you know industrial space out there that, that has potential i've looked at some of it you know so so these are things that are creative ways to solve a problem now there's other ways to solve problems and you just cut a sport that's not a very creative way to do it. It's kind of kind of surgical, and it's it's uh, it's done, you know. And it leaves it leaves a wake of really unhappy people in in its in its path. And and you know, I, I want I want to leave I want to leave my time at the University of Minnesota happy about the time I spend here. I really do, and I'm having a little trouble with that right now.
0: I can understand. Uh, I, I got two uh, two quick gymnastics questions before we let you go. The the club level is an expensive level for kids, and I don't know how you bridge the gap at the younger ages... Uh, you know, eight, nine, ten year old where, where you gotta get involved in gymnastics and, and, and make it an urban sport too because the clubs, it, it costs too much money at the clubs. It costs too much money for a lot of people and they run them year round and, they, and, and pretty soon it becomes like this mandatory thought that you have to be there, you know, five days a week year round if you're gonna get to level nine and all these things. Yeah, yeah. Yep. <laughs> you know what I speak and I, I've invested a lot. Um, uh, is there anything it that could be like, done?
1: It sounds like maybe you have a kid in gymnastics. Uh, yeah,
0: I got one. I was at a meet last night, and she's in high school now, and I'm going to a meet tomorrow. And and well, I'll ask another question. In a second, but is there anything that could be done so that more kids would have more opportunities from more areas of the city?
1: Well, wouldn't it be great if the PE programs and the public schools were to bring something like this back and tapping into the tapping into the expertise that we have in the Minnesota Men's Gymnastics Program and the Minnesota Women's Gymnastics Program, and you, and you kind of bring back PE, which is kind of a thing Past, so, You know, when I was in elementary school and junior high, we always had a gymnastics section. I was like, I was just pumped when that would happen, because I was a pretty nimble kid. You know, I didn't get into gymnastics until I was in high school, but growing up and in PE stuff... That was what you look forward to, but but
0: these kids would need more than that, right? Because you'd be compete. You're competing against kids that are doing 20, 25 hours a week.
1: It's true, but at a young age, Mike, you can get these kids, and and the USA Gymnastics has put together a kind of a club uh, club track, which is like, can you get into a gym and compete within three months of getting in there? And the, the, and they've kind of they kind of brought it down to a very basic level. You know, it's kind of like soccer. You can you can get some kids together, to play soccer, and within you know, a couple of weeks they're playing a soccer game, right? And mm-hmm. that's that's what's difficult about our sport because it's a long-term uh, developmental process. But can you get kids who kind of want to have fun and they're, they're pretty, you know, aggressive kids in terms of their ability to have some courage and their physical attributes and, you know, they can, they can have some fun with it. The other thing that's going on in, in USA Gymnastics is they're using, a lot of gyms are using these uh, ninja courses where they're, you know, all these obstacle courses would teach kids how to climb, how to jump, how to roll, how to how to swing around like, like monkeys at the jungle gym, you know? You know what, when we were young, we did that stuff, right?
0: Yep. Yep, and, and the last question I have for you before I let you go is, I have always thought that gymnastics, as I've studied it for many, many years now <laughs> when you write those checks, right? But, but <laughs> it, it is one of the great sports about teaching kids to deal with fear because it's just you you could get embarrassed, you could fall, you could get hurt. And so you have to manage emotionally through that. And I've often thought as I watched it that that's the great takeaway from gymnastics is that for the rest of your life, you, you learn, at least you learn uh, one methodology for how to deal with fear because it is you under the microscope in the spotlight. And it's scary. Is that one of the great takeaways that that, that kids have to manage through that, and it, it's it's great for the rest of their lives?
1: Without a doubt, I mean, you hit the nail on the head there, Maxie. And it's and and every sport teaches things that are really valuable, you know. And it's certainly not just gymnastics, but there's a lot of complicated maneuvers in our sport, and it requires it's kind of a thinking man sport. Not that not that every sport isn't, but. You got to be on top of your game and you got to have enough courage to be able to kind of take things to the next level. But it does really have the the ability to make people understand how to manage not only fear but adversity in life. And, you know, it's just kind of a microcosm of life in general, right? Okay, I'm having trouble with this particular skill. I'm a little bit afraid of it. I have to flip around twice and twist and do all this stuff before I land on the floor on my feet. Huh. So it's complicated so you got to go through the proper progressions the coaches have to be sure they're not pushing kids too fast to stuff that they're not quite ready for that's that's where fear builds up when when kids get asked to do things that they don't they don't feel they're quite ready for and that's where the co- a really good coach has to come in and go you're right you're not ready for this let's do this drill a little bit more so you get comfortable with the, sure. with the action of it but then there's a point where you got to you got to pull the ripcord, you know, and yep. you got to go. You you are ready. Yep. And, uh, some of these kids I'm coaching in the Act team, these these uh, young freshman kids, you know, they're not they're not the highest level kids, but they got enthusiasm, they got passion, and they're learning stuff because we're doing it the right way.
0: All right, thank you very much. I appreciate it very much. Keep us updated on what's going on.
1: I sure will, Maxie. It's been a great pleasure talking with you. I love what you do, and you've just been an icon in the in the Twin Cities area for so long and it's like, I feel like I'm talking to royalty.
0: <laughs> I, don't, I don't hear that often at home. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember that. Thank <laughs> you, Mike. We'll be in touch. Keep doing what yeah. you're doing, okay?
1: Appreciate it, Mike.
0: You bet. He made a good point there, Tubsy. felt like he was talking to royalty. Oh, King, King, Max. <laughs> King Max.
1: You know the John... You, you, didn't, you
0: didn't say a word because you're thinking... What point is he talking Uh, about? I mean, I was trying (laughs) to think. I've I've heard of King
1: Ralph, but never King Max.
0: (laughs) Nor have I, man. When we come back, Ryan Harris, Denver Broncos Super Bowl champion. We'll talk the NFL playoffs. What should the Vikings and Broncos do with their head coaching and general manager positions next? Sports to the Max just takes you right through the night. And there's a lot of football to talk about. Minnesota Vikings interviewed uh, Todd Bowles and Raheem Morris today for the head coaching job. Um, I think that will about, cause there might be one or two more, I guess. Or I don't know if there will be a surprise or not. Ryan Harris knows a whole lot about it. He has played the game. He has covered the game. He lives in Denver, where they're doing some of the same things. Uh, I'm you. efforting him, Maxie. Oh, he's not there yet? No, no, I'm, I'm efforting right now. Okay, I'm just going to give him uh, his proper introduction, okay? And then I'll, um, uh, by the time I'm done with it, hopefully he'll have picked up. Ryan Harris grew up in St. Paul, Minnesota. He decided at one point in time, I want to be a football player. And he never gave up the dream. At Creed and Durham Hall, he won a spot, starting as a sophomore. By the time he was a senior, he was All-State. The college coaches came calling, knocking on the door, asking Ryan if he'd be interested in playing for their storied programs. He looked at Benny. He decided to go east where the Golden Dome is located and play college football for Notre Dame. That was the beginning in the springboard to a career in the NFL, a career that included a Super Bowl championship ring for the Denver Broncos, where he lives now and resides, a family man in Denver, forever indebted to football and thankful that he got the opportunity to play the sport. How's that for an intro, Ryan?
2: love it man i mean yeah. is that my chapter in your upcoming book yeah
0: that's that that was the that's the forward for your next book
2: you forgot that i'm a surfer man you got to put surfer that in it. It how can you crazy. surf in the rockies hey man i'm from minnesota how can i do anything in yeah water, really right? we're so used to ice but yeah. no it's uh yeah man that was quite the intro and, and great to join you brother
0: what high, uh, what's it like in high country right now a lot of snow
2: No, a little chilly, but we—I don't like talking about it in public because we don't want more people moving here. I hear you. So, so, uh, but no, it's great. It's about fifty degrees today, and uh, in Denver, not
0: too bad. Yeah, in Denver, but in high country, they've got enough snow. It looked like to me.
2: Oh yeah, you could get an easy two feet any night up there. Yeah, Yeah, that's
0: cool. All right, Ryan. The Denver Broncos, Minnesota Vikings, doing the same thing, looking for a coach. Now in the case. So the Vikings looking for a GM as well. The The Broncos have a former Viking exec that's the GM. How has it gone for George Payton his first year there?
2: Well, he's he's been solid and consistent. You know, one of the things he said first coming into the Broncos was that he wanted to be playing in big games in December and January, and they did that. He also put together some good trades. I mean, he traded Von Miller for a second and third round pick as an expiring contract and a great deal. And, uh, and he made the right choice getting rid of Vic Fangio, who, yes. Had a good defense, but was inept and obtuse to the fact that his offense is one of the worst in the NFL, grossly underutilizing talent and not progressing in any which way.
0: Who you know, I I keep hearing uh, Dan Quinn is is high on their list, and they'll go heavy after him. You think that's? I mean, they've interviewed him, uh, but 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 is he does he stand out to you?
2: Well, the sources I talked to said that um, that Dan Quinn did interview, but he did not interview well. So I don't know how that went. Uh, outside of my sources, but that's what I've been told from people I know in the building. And then also the defensive coordinator for the Eagles uh, is a name that has been
0: Jonathan Gannon?
2: Um, yeah, Jonathan Gannon. It's uh, somebody that they really think could be a head coach and really impress them. So until, t- I hadn't found out how today went, but um, right now it sounds like Jonathan Gannon is leading. And I'll just say, Mike Max, I mean, Dan Quinn, I'm sure he's a great person, and I'm sure, and those that like, but as a coach, You got to be kidding me, man. He's he's a historical loser, and if you can continue to get jobs that way, it's crazy to me. Even in the Dallas game, he had two players who were the top three candidates for defensive player of the year on his defense, and he still couldn't stop San Francisco's rushing attack. So, I got questions about him long term.
0: I mentioned the names, uh, Raheem Morris and Todd Bowles, both interviewed for the Vikings today. Bowles, of course, at Tampa Bay, Morris in, in L.A. How do they strike you as, co- uh, as, you know, they've both been head coaches, but how do they strike you as candidates?
2: Well, they've been head coaches, which is key, because now they know how to manage an entire group. And we all know from when we reach a new pinnacle, we see things differently, right? You understand how different things play together if you've been a head coach. You've also now, if you've been fired, You've been humiliated and built yourself back up, learning new things, learning new ways to coach players. So I do like people who have had some types of failures like that. Um, and both, play, both coaches are on great teams right now. So it's always tough to differentiate a, a team and its coach between the talent and what the coach is. But both coaches have experience and, and recently experienced winning.
0: You know though Ryan, I mean the, the the common denominator, you know, this playoff most playoffs is is that quarterback position. And and when you have great quarterbacks, it's hard to tell how good any of the coaches are. You know what I'm saying? When 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 yeah. you know when great quarterbacks control a game.
2: Absolutely. And and how they change a game. You know, uh, you score a touchdown, your defense gets a turnover on short yardage, you score another touchdown. That's, you know, could be up to a 14 point swing, right? So Yeah. You really, when you have somebody who can execute and finish drives, it really amplifies what the defense does, and then it simplifies what they do because now teams have to pass. The pass rush doesn't have to think about any run gap stoppage, and it just turns everything speeds everything up for the defense. So, absolutely, a quarterback is your twelfth defender.
0: You know, we hear these murmurs, these you know, and, and you know if if they happen, they've been in motion for a while. Where, where Rogers uh, comes to Denver and he brings Devontae Adams with him. Do you buy any of that?
2: It'd be the first time that kind of thing was done in the NFL. And, you know, if it's going to be Aaron Rodgers doing something for a first time, you know, no, I'm not going to say he couldn't. But uh, I think there's been enough softening in his position to where he's kind of mentioned he likes being in in Green Bay, especially when he came back from his, from his illness. He, you know, said he really missed playing there. So I'm not sure if that's going to pan out, or if that's just a great negotiating tactic. But... It would be the first time, kind of, a quarterback and receiver were were a tandem like that.
0: Ryan Harris is our guest, yeah, and that would be precedent setting if uh, <laughs> if something like that happened, and that would get Denver excited, really, like when Peyton Manning showed up there. Uh, general manager jobs are also open. Uh, the uh, Vikings reportedly are, have got two candidates that they'll bring in again tomorrow for or next week for for interviews. Um, explain to the people. Out there, yeah, they hear the term general manager. They know about draft day. What What is the most important function of a general manager?
2: To get talent into the room and and build a locker room that has chemistry. You, you know, so one, you got to get talented players in there, um, and two, you got to get talented players in the draft. And you also you need chemistry. I mean, these are you know everybody works in a workplace. Maybe even not as much with COVID, but. You spend a lot of time with each other in the NFL. I mean, you spend more time with your teammates and coaches than you do your families during the season. So you have to be able to have some veterans who have won, who have championship experience, that, and, and that know what it takes. You need some young cats that are fast and, and playing hard. And you need some veterans who know how to get open, make blocks, and, and do the right things on special teams. That's the chemistry part that people don't see of the GM. You have to put this ton, these pieces together with the talent that's available. And that's why you see sometimes GMs struggle in that third or fourth year because they couldn't figure out that mix of veterans and youth, speed, talent, and, and works, you know, professionalism. There's all kinds of pros, but you've got to put together a good cocktail to make that thing win.
0: Lots of conversation that maybe Rick Spielman and, and and Mike Zimmer had had lost the the fondness of their relationship, which was uh, pretty tight for the first several years that that, that he was here. An eight year run uh, for Zimmer, uh, much longer, sixteen years for for Spielman. Um, how critical is 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 that, and do players pick up on that?
2: It's the most important relationship on a team: the GM and the head coach in the NFL that's the most important relationship on a team and, and players, you know, you, unless there's open arguments, you really won't see that, you know, the GM is kind of just there at practice, making sure everybody's good and, you know, swing by the training room and things like that. But, you know, I I also know from sources I've talked to at the Vikings that, you know, Mike Zimmerman has had gone into that kind of area where some people go of self-delusion. You know, if people would just do more of what I'm saying, then we'd be okay. Instead of saying, Hey, I need to read the leaves here. I need to read the wind. This is how the game's changing. This is what we need to do. I need to motivate people, not stand on an island telling people to paddle their way here. And that happens to a lot of leaders, especially if they find comfort in their, in their job.
0: Does it happen because they've been doing it long enough and they've, and, and they've accrued some money and some respect, etc., and, and that becomes uh, kind of an easy way to coach, just do what, do what I'm saying and then I don't have to think about anything else?
2: Well, you know, you may have one time where it worked because you had the right players, the right chemistry and things like that. And, but oftentimes, we find leaders, especially after their start, and, you know, he had some success. Going to the NFC Championship game is very hard to do, right? But mm-hmm. you have to adapt. You have to learn. You have to grow. The game changes every year. You have to stop things, and you have to listen to your players. The worst teams I were on had coaches that said, this is the plan. This beats the team. You're just not doing it right. The, teams I won cha- uh, the team I won a championship with, and the, when I was with the Pittsburgh Steelers, this is a conversation. How do we get better? How do we hold each other accountable? And that's the biggest difference in winning and losing in the NFL.
0: When you were in Denver, you had a coach that in, in Kubiak uh, that ended up with the Vikings, of course. What was that like?
2: <clears throat> Gary Kubiak's one of the best people I ever met in my life. I mean, he met, He helped me as a player. He helped me as a man. He helped me as a husband. helped me as a father. Uh, he, I can't say enough about Gary Kubiak. And, you know, it's two things, you know, happened. Once, you know, I told him, hey, you know, you're just passing too much. We've got to run the bleeping ball. And so we did, and we ended up winning the game, and, and it worked out. Well, I said it to him again in the Super Bowl. I missed on my block. We, you know, we didn't get in. And he's standing there waiting for me on the field saying, hey, you tell me to run the ball, I'm going to do it. But then you better be better than that, you know? So yep. that's the kind of relationship that you need to be able to have. It's not personal. It's for the best. And Gary Kubiak understood that better than any coach I ever played for.
0: You, you take the Vikings right now, and, and, and you know, they're somewhat vulnerable because coming off of this and that new coach coming in. What, what does that culture need to be? Does it need to be drastically different than what it was, or does it need to be what to bring them back?
2: It needs to be consistent. And, and, and consistency in the NFL means constantly getting better. You know, that's the Japanese art of kaizen. you got to continue to, you know, elevate. The teams that are in the playoffs right now, they're better than they were three weeks ago, right? The San Francisco 49ers say hello. You have to be able to do that, and, and a coach has to inspire that. So you need a coach who's a motivator, a coach who encourages guys when things don't go well, encourage guys through the week, you know, address problems, but address problems with the knowledge that the players in the building can get the job done, and we're going to do it together. So you need that. But you also have two big contracts in Delvin Cook and Kirk Cousins that are going to make it hard to get additional talent. It just it hamstrings you to pay those two positions that much money. That's a lot of money in two positions on one side of the football.
0: All right. Last question. Who coaches the Broncos? Who coaches the Vikings uh, uh, next season?
2: You know, I think uh, I would like Doug Peterson to be one of the coaches for for either team. I think that team, if he goes to the Vikings, I think you're a Super Bowl contender. If he comes to the Broncos, I think they're a playoff contender.
0: Really? He's Um, that good?
2: He is that good. He was my offensive coordinator when I was with the Chiefs. Bright guy, inspiring guy, even moves in the hallway fast, was a former player. And, you know, that that Philly special happened because Nick Foles told him that's the play he wanted to run, and he called it. So I like those kind of coaches.
0: Good stuff, Ryan. I appreciate it very much. Thank you so much for your candor and your insight.
2: Always, Mike. Max. Talk to you soon, brother.
0: You bet. Ryan Harris. Nice enough to join us in News Talk 830 WCCO. And we got another Ryan that played the NFL not far away either. We're going to keep talking playoffs, all that stuff. Yeah, we're going to talk a lot about that tonight. The reason is real simple. We know what you want, and we give it to you. And that's why WCCO has been in business for like 90 years or something like that. Stay with us sports to the max show interesting conversation with ryan harris and uh he has candor man he believes what he believes and he lets you know what he believes i find that refreshing sometimes i go i wish i could stick my neck out there a little bit further um because it's like I know what the truth is, but do, I'm not quite so sure the public's ready to digest it. If you know what I mean. Um, the Minnesota Timberwolves lost on Wednesday, will play on Sunday against Brooklyn. Brooklyn, one of the best teams in the East. And um, this is good for them, it's good for them to get pushed around a little. It's good for them to have nights where they, they fight with the officials, because this is the only way that they're going to learn how this game is played, and that is the game inside the game, the code, the whatever you want to call it, where there's a certain something that uh, there's a certain relationship between referees and players. And it's, it's not always I'd side with the, the referees, for sure not. but there is without question, the NBA more than any other league. There's a back and forth and a give and take that you kind of learn the nuance of. And it's part of growing and maturing as an NBA team. And the Timberwolves have some young players, but they're at that juncture now where they're going to need to understand what that nuance is. You know, D'Angelo Russell's a great player. He's not a leader. Carl Anthony Towns is trying to be a leader. He just needs to work at it more. And Anthony Edwards is still raw. He's just talented. And every once in a while, he's going to you know, let some steam off. And that's okay. But if you got somebody that's kind of there to control them or say, "Don't do it right now," Anthony, we need you. You got a little bit better look at things, and that's what they need to do. So Brooklyn be a good test for them. They all are, but it's fun season. When we come back, Ryan Hogue, who's going to win in the playoffs in the NFL? You kidding me, Hoagster? No, stay with us. Okay, picture this: It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you.